Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. So this morning I'm doing a message called God's Repair Plan for You. It's for Christians and not yet Christians. And it's kind of a bit like Star Wars. It's a prequel. <laughs> so I'm doing, the, I'm doing the prequel to last week's message. So uh, last week's about you being kingdom effective, but this is how you're going to be kingdom effective, is that you, are let, you let God begin to repair your life. And, uh, and if you're a Christian, you let God repair your life again this week. In Jesus' name. But we need to know who the God is who we've gathered together today to worship and to honor. And also, I just want to remind everybody why he came. As I said, this is a prequel. It's to make you understand you've got an important part to play in his house. Everybody, do you get this? Not just go to church. It's like play a part. We need you to play your part. We need you. We want you. You've got gifts, talents. We want you to play a part in God's house, and God wants you to do that. But then... You go and overflow into the community. You can have one thing you do in God's house and another thing in the community. We've got people who work in the children's, their calling is to work with our children to minister to them, not a babysitting service. But then they're out and they're doing finance at a corporate level out in the world. It's, you have two different callings. So there's one for the house, one for outside. But we need to understand why and who we are serving and what this is all about because it's the basis as to our kingdom effectiveness. So Colossians 1, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, uh, in the Message Bible, I, I've chosen the message because it just says it so beautifully, actually, just in these verses about who Jesus is. Let me read it to you, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And it says, we look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. Wow. You're being held together by him. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. Once again, God talking about not individual pieces, but the body of Christ. You might be an arm, a finger, a toe, a leg, an eye. I don't know, but we move, the Bible's teaching us we're moving together. And God's holding us together and organizing us together. Verse 18 to 20, he was supreme in the beginning, and he's going to be leading the resurrection parade in the end. He is supreme in the end. Come on, he is supreme in the end. He is preeminent. And so everything points to and everything is for and everything was created for and by Jesus. So some people ask the question, Christians and non-Christians, why did Jesus come? Can I just talk about that for a minute? Why did Jesus come? Why are we serving him? Some people, if you go around on the street and said, why did Jesus come? Some would say to show us kindness if we went out into Lakeside. Ask the question. Some would say to give us statues to admire in historic buildings. Some will say we needed another historical figure, and we got one in Jesus. Some will say to show us how to live. That's a good one. Some would say to give the world touching and inspiring stories from the Middle East. 
Some, some would say he is someone you go to in times of deep trouble. Can I encourage you? That's true too. But don't be afraid to go again and again and again. Some people think, I don't want to bother God. He's too busy. He's never too busy for you. He's never too busy for you. But if we ask Jesus why he came, we'll see that some of those things right there, some of them miss the point. And uh, Augustine, who is, you know, such a significant Christian thinker in history, and he's one of the most influential authors, philosophers, theologians uh, in Christian thinking. He, in the 4th century AD, in about his 40s, had a self-realization about himself and about God, and he wrote a book called Confessions. And I love some of the things he said in Confessions. So I'm going to be bringing that through my message today because some of his thinking is revelatory and powerful for each of us who are called to know Jesus. So he wrote in Confessions, uh, you know, one and a half thousand years ago, he wrote basically that we think we're free. And here's what he said. The liberty I loved was merely that of a runaway. The liberty that I loved was merely that of a runaway. So many people think, well, if I just do my own thing and I just do this and I just do that, I just want to be free. And he said, I discovered the liberty that you have and he has is merely that of a runaway. We're on the run. We're on the run, and uh, years ago, I looked up uh, some of the root meanings of the words evil and wicked when they were kind of, you used to say, oh, that's evil, that's wicked, and uh, it actually, the root of evil and wicked means empty and restless. So all the people who you think, oh, that's so evil, they're so wicked, they're so, no, they're empty and they're restless, they're on the run. So your liberty that you currently have may not be real liberty, it may be the fact that you're on a runaway, and you haven't yet come home. Today, at the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity online and in the service to be included in the prayer to get to know Jesus Christ. He's a prayer away. Can I encourage you? When you respond to God, He responds to you. If you'll include you in that prayer and respond to God, He'll respond to you. So we'll do that at the end of the service. We'll give you that opportunity. Please include yourself in that prayer, and God will begin to make Himself so real to you. You know, uh, He went on and says of God... Listen to this. He said, you called, of Jesus, he's talking about God, you called and cried out loud and shattered my deafness. You were radiant and resplendent. You put to flight my blindness. Wow. You were fragrant and I drew my breath and now pant after you. I tasted you and I feel now that I hunger and thirst for you. He says, you touch me and I'm set on fire to attain the peace which is yours. I love that. He's saying, listen, you shattered my deafness. I couldn't hear. You were radiant and resplendent, glowing, coming at me. He says, and you put to flight my blindness. Where's all my friends who were blind? Thank you, the front row. That's awesome. <laughs> all of us were blind. I didn't know that Christianity was real. I didn't get the church. I didn't get Jesus. I didn't get the Bible. I didn't get the God thing. I didn't get any of it. And then as I opened my heart to God, this, this is the real challenge for humans. We don't like opening our heart. I want God to be everything but personal. 
God, be everything, but don't be personal, because that's personal. Yet God is everything that is personal. And so when I open my heart to God, God removed the blindfold from me as well. You know, you can be a Christian and uh, be around church and be around God and not get God really, yet you go to church every week. In John 14, verse 8 to 9, in the New King James, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? I like Philip. He says, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be sufficient for us as if Jesus doesn't know what's sufficient for us. He's telling Jesus, that'll be sufficient for us. <laughs> yes, give, tell Jesus what's going to be sufficient for you. That'll work. Only Jesus knows what's sufficient for us. And then Jesus says, how long have you been with me? How long have you been with me, Philip? And he's saying that to you today. How long have you been with me? And yet you still don't know me. How long will you go to church? Yet you still don't allow me to be personal with you, so you don't know me. You have a religious routine, but you don't know me. So that question is for all of us today, because there's a big difference between informational knowledge and knowing him. Big difference between informational knowledge and knowing Jesus. You can have knowledge of Christianity, you can have knowledge of religious practices, and yet know God nil. You can eavesdrop on another's Christianity. You can look at somebody else. Oh, you know, how they're going with their Christianity, how they're going as a Christian. You can look at what they're wearing. They've got skinny jeans on. They say, hallelujah, at the right time. I'll copy that, and maybe me and God will be, you know, we'll be good. And we can be living on somebody else's Christianity, what they're doing, rather than on what God's doing in you. Eavesdropping on another. <laughs> eavesdropping on their faith. Sometimes we're getting secondhand information. And actually, by looking at other people, but we never become the Christian ourselves personally. We just kind of copy what they do. We're getting secondhand information, and maybe we have a secondhand Christian life. I grew up in a family where my dad drank everything in my teen years. My gosh, we had no money. My dad used to drink most of it. We moved from Sydney in the suburbs and kept going west. We ended up in the Bronx. And I never got anything new ever until I was 13. It was the first time I ever had something new to wear. I wore my brother's hand-me-downs. I never had anything new. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Never had anything new. Some of you had the same thing. So 13, but when I got it, my first new thing, there was something about getting your first new thing. I never went to a restaurant until I was 17 and a half. Never been in one. Never, I went there going to 17 and a half. Oh, whoa. Gee. Yep. Never been in one until I was seven and a half. So when you get your own pair of jeans for the first time, not hand-me-downs, there's just something about getting your own thing, getting your own pair, getting your own clothes. Can I just say to you, there's just something about not getting a second-hand Christian walk. There's just something about not living off someone else, mum. Dad, grandma, grandpa, what we did back in New Zealand, what we did in Europe, what we did in... I'm living on what happened in Africa, what happened in South Africa, what happened in England. What, no, no, no. 
You need to get your own one. Don't have a hand-me-down Christian life. It's one thing for me to have 13 years of hand-me-down clothes. It's another thing to have a hand-me-down Christian life. That's second-hand, second-rate. It's, a, it's me copying somebody else or eavesdropping on another's faith or Christianity. You need to get your own. Because with God, nothing is second-hand or second-best. Jesus' main reason for coming, everybody, is that you might know him. Firstly, firstly, his reason, you know, is not even for us to attend church. Church is 101. If you're going to be a believer, I got that at 18, 19, Hebrews 10, 25. Don't be like those who say they're Christians, but they don't really fellowship, and they're kind of in and out of God's house. I got that 18, 19. I was like, boom, got it, Jesus. <laughs> got that. I'll be there. So that I start to walk into that relationship. But it was what I was doing outside of church. It was what I was doing outside of church that was the main deal. Not what happened in church for an, hey, I'm here for an hour and a quarter or whatever. It was like what I was doing at home, what I was doing at the ga- in my garage, which is what I was doing. Walking, praying, reading, listening, reading, listening. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Present tense, infinitist. You've got to keep hearing it again and again and again. And it builds faith. And so Jesus says in John 17, 3, he says, and this is eternal life that you may, that, sorry, Jesus says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This still gives me chills, everybody, when Jesus says, this is eternal life. Here is the most important thing in eternity, that they may know you, the only true God, And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is saying, this is what is eternally important. You can be wrong about a lot of things, but eternity is the last thing you want to be wrong about. Everybody, you can know the Bible without knowing God. You can know the Bible without knowing God. I've met so many people, 39 years as a believer now, I've been shocked at people I've met. You know the Bible, but you don't know God. You can know theology and not know God. So you can know the Bible without knowing God, but you cannot know God without knowing the Bible. You can't know God without knowing the Bible because the Bible is revealing the person of Jesus. Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. So you can't know Jesus without knowing the Bible. But there are theologians throughout history and around the world, and even now, some Bible colleges would struggle because you'd have somebody who is a theological person. They study the laws and the word and the dots of the bible and they're you know they're into the structure but they don't know god i remember years ago sitting in a bible college thinking i don't think this lecturer really knows the lord but he knew the scripture but i don't think he knows jesus personally you know everybody god is here to help us and he's actually here to help us to know him I love that. God's here to help us. Last week I talked about if you're going to be a believer and you under, if you're a maturing believer, if you're a maturing believer, you will get pretty quickly that in the kingdom we're here to help build God's house. Start with that, then go into the community. And uh, I was bringing to how in the Old Testament, uh, the na- one of the names of Jehovah is Jehovah Azar, which means the Lord, Lord our helper. He's the greatest source of help for your life, everybody, no doubt about it. And in Hebrew, also, uh, sorry, that was in the Greek. In the Hebrew, it means to, azar means to protect, aid, support, 
give material and non-material encouragement and assistance. So we've got a twofold thing happening. That's what Jesus is doing for your life, but then he wants you to do that for his house and beyond. And so in 1 Chronicles 12, that picture last week, if you weren't here, you want to get it, because David represents spiritual authority in the kingdom, that we're called to help those God's placed in front of us, wherever it is, kids' department, worship team, car park, ushers, wherever, we're there to help them. And then they, the church became a great army. So, so God's here to help us, but I want to encourage you, He's not just here to help us into, you know, well, I, I need a new car and I need this and that. He's not just here to help us get a job, though He wants you to get a job. I believe, he, I believe that's, He wants everybody to be doing well. He wants you to get a job. He wants you doing well in life. No doubt about it. Bible teaches it clearly. I've got no problem with that. But really, He's saying, I'm not just here to help your career. He's saying, I'm the reason for your career. I'm the reason for your career. And he's saying, I want you to get it, that what you do with your life is because you said to me, God, what job do you want me to get? What do you want me to do now, Lord? You know, uh, sometimes we think because we're not enjoying a job that God's not in it. I found some of the things I did not enjoy were actually the very stepping stones that God had for me to what he had for my life. The way up in God is often the way down. It's a service route. If you want God's way, it's a service route, and it's down, and it's humbling, but God will bring you back up. And so I had a job where, you know, I was in Sydney, and I worked near Granville Racecourse, Rose Hill Racecourse, for those who know Sydney. And I remember hating the job and hating the boss. <laughs> Anybody ever had a job like that? Don't raise your hand. Your ex-boss might be here. Anyway. But I hated it. And I remember walking around, and I said to God, I can't stand this job. I can't stand this boss. And the Lord just nailed me and said, I need you to change your attitude. I can't do anything with you. I need you to change your attitude. <laughs> and I said, well, I'll change it next week anyway. But I said, Lord, help me not to hate this job and help me to be grateful for it. God was wanting me to get grateful. And, uh, and I said, Lord, I'm sorry. You'll need to help me, but I really don't like it. And, uh, and I'll tell you now, I can't go into that story, but the Lord was really working in my character through a boss who was really giving me a hard time. A lot of us trying to escape the very things that God's trying to use to rub you the wrong way and develop your character. If you have any calling, can I just get that real quick? It is impossible for you to have any calling of any depth and not be offended regularly as a Christian. Impossible. And if you don't realize that God is going to send people to offend you as a Christian, you have no spiritual insight. Because David had a big call and God said, I got a big soul for your big call. Saul was a crazy, insecure king. And David is a little shepherd boy with a sweetheart looking after sheep. And God goes, you got a great king. you got a great calling. And he goes, and here comes your development program. His name's Saul. Yeah, he's going to throw spears at you, breathe threats of death. <laughs> so we need to read the real Bible. Not the one some other Christian told us. Oh, it's all going to be about your comfort and it's all going to be sweet. No, it's not. God's trying to develop my character and develop your character so that when we get out here, when you get into what he's got for your life, that you don't bail at the moment, it's slightly uncomfortable. It's no good for me to bail now. It's no good for you to bail now. So God's like, yeah, I'm going to just work in that character and get that attitude sorted. So, 
So Jesus is saying, he, sorry, Jesus is not just saying the point of life is knowing who he is. He's actually saying the definition of life is knowing God. He's saying it's not just, the point of life is not just knowing about me. The definition of life is knowing God. God is letting us know without him, we are like just organisms on the planet. We're existing. But with him, you live. The definition of life is a relationship with the living God. Otherwise, you'll just pay the bill, pay the bill, go to work, go to work, rent a house, rent a house, buy a house, buy a house, da 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 da, da look in the mirror, oh my gosh, I'm getting older, da 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 That's existing. And God says, I don't want you to exist, I want you to live. And in fact, I'm the reason for your life. I'm the reason for that career. I'm the reason for that ministry. I'm the reason for those relationships. So personal knowing of God is everything, and knowing God is the central theme in the Scripture. And our world that we live in now, everything's become so high-tech, and uh, we've got everything at our disposal, everything's so high-tech everywhere. Somebody tell me the other day they get in the shower, and now they just go shower on. Excuse me. <laughs> So high tech. But CNN, which I've said before, and I don't watch CNN, by the way, that is no ad for that news company, let me tell you now. But they did put out a statistic, which was very interesting, that since 2000, suicide rate in America has gone up 20%. That is unbelievable. It should, you would think it would be like 0.2, 0 0.4, it's 20%. That's what they put out their statistic on CNN. So with all of our gadgets, all of our high-tech, we feel more alienated than ever. So we need and we are built for high connection with God and then with His house, with God and with people. And, uh, and if you, and as we know, Spencer and I will talk about, if you, if you get connection with God and people, connection breaks addiction. The reason you're in addiction is because of no... Uh, proper healthy connections or wrong connections. Connection breaks addiction. It breaks it. Connection with God, connection with people. And, uh, you know, very interesting that uh, Princess Diana, before she died, she, uh, you know, who had such a challenging life and there's so much there, but touched the world and people all felt a connection with her. In the last uh, period of her life, before she was killed in that terrible road accident, Princess Diana went to Angola, if you remember, and she was involved in removing landmines that were going off and uh, causing people to lose limbs, etc., etc. Anyway, after that, she was with AIDS patients, and she was going to places where she said, I finally found my true calling. After being with people, holding their hands, sitting with them in the most difficult of places. She said, I finally found my true calling. Everybody, everything that you're looking for is found in God and is found in his house and being sent from there out into the community. Can I just encourage everybody on the church for a moment too? You cannot love God and not love his bride. The Bible says that the, the church is the bride of Christ. You can't say, Pastor Ed, I really like you, but that Sheila you're married to, not fussed about her at all. <laughs> now, I know none of you would ever say that. But that's what some people do with the church. Yeah, love Jesus, but the church. I'm like, you, you, ain't, you ain't in love with what Jesus loves. Because if you know him, you love what he loves. 
I know that there's no perfect people. <laughs> people said I went to church and there's hypocrites. There's hypocrites at McDonald's. There's hypocrites. Oh, there's hypocrites at Kmart. There's hypocrites at the bank. There's hypocrites at the gym. There's a hypocrite sitting on the chair that you're sitting on right now. <laughs> Just have a look down. I went to church and they were hypocrites. Oh, please. There isn't one person in here that's not been hypocritical. Better to be in church with all the hypocrites than be in eternity in another place with them. Right. But Jesus loves his church, everybody. And you need to get that, that you speak well of his church, you honor his church. And if you've been an addicted person, you have, an, you have a potential, have a predictive personality, you need to addict yourself to God's house. Get to God's house like I did 39 years ago and say, right, we're not going anywhere. I'm still here. A whole bunch of people disappeared. Guess who got the good life? Guess who got the freedom? I'm still here, addicted. Not to the pulpit, to God's house. <laughs> Particularly not this pulpit, it's got a wobble. <laughs> we need personal disclosure with God. We need to disclose to God, God, this is who I am. Do you know when you disclose who you are to God, God goes, I know. That's fine with all your imperfections and your perfections. There's things about you that are brilliant. You just maybe don't see that enough. You need to see the brilliance in you. Go, Lord, thank you there's brilliance in me. Thank you, God, there's kindness in me. Thank you, Lord, there's this in me. Some of you have got the most incredible hearts, but you beat yourself up. We need to give personal disclosure. God, this is who I am. And then, Lord, here's what I struggle with. Because God knows you do already. So we need to not conceal. We need to reveal. Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. I've got it right this service, the last service. Goodness, the, they got the wrong scripture. You really needed to see it in the first service. <laughs> oh, gee, it was the wrong scripture. Anyway, moving on. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this. Listen to this, everybody, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, says the Lord. God says, you want to you be uh, making me delight? I want to make God delight. He says, then understand and know me. Which means God's not trying to hide himself from you. He's just saying, change up your diary so that I get more placement in your life. Get a quiet place in the house, get a chair, get a spot at the beach, get a spot at the park, get a spot there, get there, be there, get a headset, get on the train, get the headset. And ask God, Lord, talk to me today. And the Lord says, I will. Christianity is not a philosophy first, everybody. Philosophy is the study of general and fundamental questions about existence, knowledge, values, reason, mind, and language of life. Christianity is not a philosophy first, it's a relationship. If it was a philosophy, you'd go to your questions first. If Christianity is a relationship, which it is, you go to the person first. Many people come, well, I've got so many questions. I've got this question. I've got that question. Yeah, you're at a philosophy. Can I encourage you today? Welcome, everybody. You're at the house of God with a personal God. So God wants to take you from theological knowledge to personal knowledge. 
And the reason we wrestle with that is, as I said before, I'm convinced that people struggle with personal relationship. I struggle with the thought of a personal relationship with God. So Jesus says, I know you've got questions, but come to me, open your heart, come to me, because this is a relationship first, and then those questions I'll begin to answer. God's not wanting to answer your questions. He's just saying, it's not a philosophy. This is the kingdom of me, Jesus. And he's saying, come to me. Matthew 16, verse 13 to 17 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Everybody, before Jesus answers your questions, he wants to ask you one. Who do you say that I am? But Jesus, I got a question. He says, yeah, yeah, I know. But he says, the first priority is actually my question. I created you. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? By the way, the other 11 were a bit silent at that point. They should have all, you should have been hearing. And all the disciples yelled. <laughs> Jesus asking you, who do you say that I am? Who, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because who you say Jesus is, determines what he's able to do in you and through you. Who do you say that he is? So the moment you say, you're the Messiah, you're God, you're the anointed one. Whatever else that is in your heart to say to him, Jesus responds and says, my father's revealed that to you and I'll begin to answer your questions as we do life together. Everybody, Begin to seek God with a new passion. Maturity, maturity as a Christian is when you start to seek God with passion, but when you start to feed yourself. My grandson Joel's here this morning. He's the sweetest little guy, loving him so much. But get between him and food and the Irish DNA, which you can't really get rid of. It comes through, and I've seen with Kerry, if, you, if he's not getting fed, he's going to deck you. <laughs> And I'm like, poor Kerry, she's so sweet. He's got the fist going. I'm like, Kerry, he's going to punch you. She said, I know. And I'm thinking, this is probably my side of the family. Sorry. <laughs> Don't get between us and food. Anyway. <laughs> but he can't feed himself. He's got to have his mum feed him. But I love the passion for the food. We need some Christians who are like, get out of the way. I've got to get to God. Get out of the way. Aunty Betty's got her bake-off on 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Aunty Betty, love you. I can't be at 10 a.m. bake-off because Jesus is first. I'll come at 2, but I can't do 10. See, when I answered the question, Jesus, your Lord, do you know what? No one had to tell me to tithe. No one had to tell me to tithe. When, to, when I said, Jesus, I've answered the question, your Lord. I didn't have to go to church anymore because he's Lord. I went. 
I didn't have to say, well, I'm going to, Sue, how do you feel about serving and helping at church and helping people? Well, I didn't have to do any, go through that process. He's Lord. Lord, do you want me to help people? He said, yeah, I do. When Jesus is Lord, there's a whole lot of stuff that immediately the question is answered. Some of us have still not quite answered the question. So that's why we still don't have Him Lord of our finances, still don't give, still don't serve, don't, still don't help, because you haven't quite answered the question, or you have. Or you have. I think you're a good man, Jesus. I like you. My parents and grandparents said you were good. But if He's Lord, everything changes. You never had to tell me for 39 years, get to church. I want to be where my father is, where his people are, where I can learn, where I can grow, where I can build. No one has to tell me. Okay, last one. John 6, verse 37, 38. I love this. It says, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will. Once again, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Everybody, if you come to Jesus, he will not cast you out, no matter what you've done, no matter what your sin is. The disciples started coming to Jesus as well. They left their tax collecting, left their boats, left their fishing, left their business. God's not asking us all to do specifically that. But they came to him and then Jesus began to fill them and satisfy their lives. And they ended up giving their lives because he so saturated them with life and eternal life. Everybody, God wants to saturate you with life and eternal life as you come to him. But may you answer this question this week. Who do you say that I am, Jesus says? Who do you say that I am? Because when you answer that, everything will change. Everything will change. Let God repair you today if you're not yet a Christian. And if you're a Christian, let God repair you today. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.